Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And appropriately, it's a very dull and dingy day in Sulphur today. It's quite dull. Which is it's, it's appropriate because we're discussing a very dingy and dark franchise. <laughs> we are discussing the Saw franchise. Yes. Um huge part of the horror genre and a huge part of pop culture for the past well I mean still going on to this day for the past like how many years since the first film now? Like fucking I don't know. Seventeen years. Seventeen years or so. Like yeah. Huge impact. Um kick started the uh torture porn subgenre which quickly died out. Um but yeah no very impactful franchise um spawn video games a fucking theme park ride theme park ride I was gonna um, say yeah 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 I it's one of those films and franchises that gets the general public into the cinema to watch uh horror films um it's not people enjoy horror films and people they call themselves horror, horror fans but these there are certain films that get everyone talking yeah and it became i wouldn't necessarily would you say a cultural reset i wouldn't really go that far i borderline yeah borderline it's it's a milestone it's but, a milestone in horror films yeah um and I remember when it was first released, because um, this was shortly after I was, you know, really taking film watching seriously and whatever and really getting into horror. Um, and I watched it when it first came out on DVD. But I remember when it was released at the cinema and it was the big thing. Everybody was talking about it. There was billboards saying, um, we dare you to see Saw. Yeah. That, that was the big thing. Everybody knew this film existed. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was like a challenge to watch it. It was yeah. it was challenging, and there's horror films that enter the public consciousness. Yeah, um, there hadn't been one since Scream. Yeah, in '96, yeah, yeah, yeah. really, um, that had that much of an impact to the general viewer or the general public. Yeah, and of course, each one up until Saw Saw 3D was the final one to do this, but each one was released in time for Halloween as well. Yes. Every every October, there was a new Saw film. Um, yeah, and it, it became such a big deal. Um, before we get further into it, the results of our poll, this is our most intense poll yet. I genuinely didn't know um, who which film was going to win this one. So thank you, uh, the people of Instagram and Twitter, for making this interesting. Uh, in seventh place, we have joint seventh, Saw 4 and Saw 3D. Okay. Harsh on Saw 4, but I mean, Saw 3D, yeah. Really. Yeah, Saw, yeah. Absolutely. Um, really harsh and really shocking. In sixth place, we have Saw 6. Yeah, that's a bit harsh, I thought, actually. What's even more shocking is our fifth place, Saw 2. That's just wrong. The best sequel of the yeah. whole franchise. And then in fourth place, we have Saw 3. One that really shocked me, because I remember when this film was released and everyone fucking hated it, is Saw 5. In second place, we have Jigsaw, which I can understand it is one of the strongest sequels. And in first place, of course, we have the original. Yes. 
Um, we've had a couple of people speak to us about it. Xander, the previous podcast guest, says for him, one and two were fantastic. He stopped after five uh, because the main bad guy looked way too generic and uh, he had trouble working out who was who. <laughs> Uh, the trade good storyline for more gore, but the franchise will always have a soft spot in his heart. And Jigsaw is an incredible character, and killing him off was the biggest mistake of the franchise. Okay. It, it, it is weird that Jigsaw is killed in Saw 3. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I assume be, you've watched the franchise and been listening to this. Yeah, this this is a franchise that is, you know, there's a lot to be spoiled. So if you haven't seen it and you're interested in watching them, go watch them before listening to this. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it is a strange move. I mean, I like how they brought him back into it. Uh, I mean, unpopular opinion. I, I'm i a big fan of most of this franchise because I like the soap opera story thing they got going on. Because um, a, a lot of people do immediately think, oh, Saw, it's it's just, you know, traps and whatever. And that is a big selling point of the films. But I was really invested in the story uh, watching these year after year. I think, you know, they, they're very precise with the storylines, they you know with where they go with it and what they insert here and there. Yes, yeah, so it's very consistent. So the, the idea is that they know that they what's going to happen in part five and six before we've even seen Saw four. Yeah, and yeah. it on the whole it works. There's mm. a few plot holes or a few stretches where you're a bit like mm, that's a little ridiculous but it's a ridiculous film franchise so you can forgive that um just going off the point that xander made killing off jigsaw i, I feel there was definitely a divide within the series where the first three were written by lee one l yeah and clearly he had some form of a trilogy in mind yeah and it would be a trilogy of films obviously big box office successes they ain't gonna finish at part mm-hmm. three so then they bring in a new team um to write the subsequent films yeah whilst trying to keep to the original three uh-huh. which is why it becomes a little silly at times trying to tie it all back to those original three. I don't know that for a fact, but that's just how I felt. Yeah, no, I think that's very much the case. Is that they didn't think, uh, at least Lee Wanell, the writer of the original three films, he didn't think that it would go further than those three. Mm. Obviously, he didn't think, you know, a low-budget film in 2004, um, a, a, a low-budget original horror film in 2004, yeah. he probably didn't think it was going to do big box office anyway. No. Let's be fair. Um, and when it did, it, you know, it was going to be a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, when we got down to our final two on Twitter, between Saw and Saw 6 on the poll, David S. Smith says uh, he loves Saw 6. It's far to the left of mainstream American politicians and has the franchise best arc. But when it came to voting between the two on Twitter, he had to pick the first film. Yeah, Saw 6 is great. It's, it's really great. Um, as far as the sequels are concerned, um, it, it does... It, it does feel like the one that has definitely got the most political commentary in it. Mm, um, yeah, but it is the only one, really. I mean, the rest haven't really... Um... Clear and concise political commentary. Yeah. Six is the only one that has that. I mean, what would you... The way this took off and the whole torture porn thing, do you think it says anything about the way society was at the time and a lot of things going on? 
I mean, it's all based on morals. Yeah. Let, let's be honest, and I'm going to get this out of the way quite early. Saw has a, a lot of influence from Seven. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and Seven, let, let's be honest, again, uh, Seven is a better film. Yeah. And I would really recommend watching oh, Seven um, to anyone. But the whole idea of the morality tale or in mm. horror... I mean, it's as old as horror itself, you know. Um, in slasher films, you had mainly women being punished in some sort of way mm. for premarital sex or drug use, uh, this, that and the other. It's kind of derived from that. Yeah. It's just a little yeah. more... So th- I find they're all morality tales and they're not necessarily... Um, Clear cut. No. I mean, Jigsaw believes that his killing is a, a moral, you know, a moral story where he's killing these bad people for these, you know, for their actions or because they don't, um, they don't, they don't live life to the full. Yeah. As he perceives it. But then obviously... Who the fuck is he to say these things? Yeah, so yeah. it's all it's all based on morals. Whereas part six is very clear cut. These are terrible people, and I find some of them is more clear cut. Yeah. As it goes on. Yeah. And it's more like okay, and actually you're a terrible piece of shit, mm. and you deserve to die, which is going into your Freddy Krueger. Yeah. You know who are you actually rooting for in these yeah. films? Um. Martin Kempster, he said he had a miserable time watching the franchise. And in one of my favourite stories involving Saw over the last few weeks, uh, someone saw two were his favourites, but he found himself watching Bargain Hunt to help him get through Saw 3. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, Bargain Hunt and Saw 3, that's, a, that's quite the mixture, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Saw 3 is a very depressing film. Um, Bargain Hunt, not so much... Uh, any non-UK listeners, Bargain Hunt... Uh, wait, we've spoke about Bargain Hunt before on it. I know we have. Have we? I, rec- I, I have deja vu. Yeah, um, it's uh, a guy with too much fake tan having people find bargains from antiques. <laughs> you don't do Bargain Hunt justice. I used to love Bargain Hunt. Oh, please, Hunt. please. Do. Essentially, two teams go around um, antiques markets looking to buy... Um, antiques and sell at auction at the highest profit. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, connections with Saw? Would you say there's some parallels there? Uh, <laughs> probably not. No. no. David Dickinson would make a good jigsaw? No. He, he might do. Um, if, you, if you're a fan of the franchise, I know a lot of you are, let us know. Saw franchise. The Saw not, franchise. Not bargain if you love Bargain Hunt as well, please let us know on social media. We're Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horacle Trash on Twitter. But getting into the films, we have Saw released in 2004, directed by James Wan, uh, who is a fantastic modern horror director. He knows the right things to do. Um, he made Deadly Silence. Uh, he made Insidious, The Conjuring. He's also gone off into stuff like Aquaman and Fast and Furious Seven. So he, you know, he's a, an action director as well. Uh, but overall, he's a really, he's a really big name in modern horror, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, did he ever do music videos? Mm, don't think so. I get pure music video from some of the direction. I think. Saw. 
music videos maybe came from this this particular style i mean not you know not the beginning of time music videos but i mean this particular style of music videos for like metal bands and such no no, no. i remember this say? this style was done in like marilyn manson and it's very Cold, marilyn manson yeah very marilyn Nine Inch manson Nails. yeah it's very sort of late 90s um metal yeah. music video is def and that's why I thought that maybe he had directed some of them or maybe it was just an no. influence that he had uh, it's made on a budget of 1.2 million dollars and it made 103.9 million dollars worldwide that is how you do it <laughs> yeah yeah. It, it is a masterclass in low budget indie filmmaking it, you know it works off its minimalism yeah, it, which is it does, crazy to think where the franchise goes after this. Yeah, so some style choices don't necessarily work. That whole metal music mm. video doesn't always work, but it's a way of cutting costs. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it is low budget, but you you wouldn't be able to tell too much where you think you would be able to tell. No. Like the... Um, Makeup effects yeah, and yeah. all that business—they they look really good. Yeah. it's pulled off really well. Yeah, the entire film was filmed in eighteen days. Uh, Saw two was approved for production the weekend this film opened at the box office. There we go. <laughs> Uh, James Wan took a gamble and took no upfront salary for the film and opted for a percentage instead. I mean, it's a good choice. Oh, good. <laughs> now Lucky it's a him, good choice. Yeah. Uh, he also did not intend to make what was later referred to as a torture porn film. It was not until the sequel that the film's got he described as more explicitly nasty. Nasty? Nasty. Nasty. And that is very true. Yeah. That is very true. The first film isn't um, as gory as the ones that preceded it. Which is crazy, considering the marketing, um, the whole we day to see Saw thing was very much based around the fact that it was a very nasty film. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it has its moments, mm. um, but at the heart of it is that twisty plot line. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, originally intended for straight-to-video release, but after positive screenings, was given the nod to become a theatrical release film. Wow. Uh, the screenplay was written in 2001 as a calling card for James Wan and Lee Wanell uh, trying to break into Hollywood. Lee Wanell being the director of Upgrade and The Invisible Man. Uh, they shot a low-budget short based on a scene in the film, and this proved successful enough to attract the attention of Evolution Entertainment, uh, they immediately formed a horror genre arm called Twisted Pictures and gave Wan and Ronell a small budget. Nice. Uh, Wan and Ronell wanted to make a film after they finished film school, but they could only afford one room. However, they challenged themselves to create a film that only occurred in one room, and so was the product uh, and considered one of the most profitable and successful horror films of all time. I think... Uh, Guinness Book of World Records, I think this franchise is down as the most successful horror franchise of all time. Oh, okay. Uh, which would make sense for some of the numbers we got coming up from, which the sequels made as well. Yeah. Uh, Jigsaw's puppet was completely made from scratch by the creators of the film. Nice. Uh, and obviously that is an iconic image now. And it doesn't look cheap either. No, no. According to an interview with Lee Wanell, uh, Adam and Lawrence were originally going to be trapped in an elevator. That would have been a very different film. Yeah, I don't think I would have liked that. 
Uh, Carrie Owls. <laughs> he's an interesting actor, isn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gave an amazing performance in the Black Christmas remake. Oh, God, I forgot he was in that. He's probably most famous for The Princess Bride, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he filed a lawsuit against the producers and a production company because he only received a nominal salary with back-end revenues. He claimed to have been promised 1% of the profit, which would be considerable since Saw went on to earn over 100 million globally. Uh, the case was finally settled out of court, but mostly as a result of their disagreements. And Owls chose not to be involved with any of the sequels up until Saw 3D. Oh, chose wisely. Wow, Saw 3D. (laughs) The MPAA originally rated this film NC-17 due to the film's tone. Um, And James Wan removed some of the content to secure an R rating. Yes, it's definitely one of those films that um, isn't as explicit as people would make out. But it does have a tone. Yeah. And it's hard to describe. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, has that as well. Mm -hmm. That tone. Yeah. Where what you're seeing isn't necessarily explicitly violent, but it feels, fucking feels it. Yeah. You know? Shirley Smith's in this, um, becomes franchise regular. She does. Uh, She was cast because James Wan had a crush on her. Yes. From his teen years. Yes. Uh, she originally turned down the role, but she watched the short film that this was based on, and she accepted it. Yes. Um, gave her a career boost. It did, yeah, because uh, he had a crush on her, <laughs> rather than her acting abilities. <laughs> I'll say no more. Yeah. A principal photography was done in a converted warehouse. The bathroom set was built, whilst the other locations were existing rooms redressed, so the whole thing was filmed in one building. Oh, okay. Um, and that's very much the case for a lot of the sequels as well, I think. Um, Tobin Bell uh, is in this, the face of the franchise. He lied face down for all of the scenes set in the bathroom and no dummy was used. That is method acting to the extreme. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure why that was necessary, but okay. <laughs> Um, according to Lee Wan Al, Zepp was originally going to perform strange acts with the underwear in Allison's dresser, but Lee Wan Al cut it out as he thought it was a bit too far and it was rewritten. Instead, Zepp had a gun to Allison's head whilst he listened to Diana's heart. Yeah, that'd have been a bit too uh, Silence of the Lambs, and I think by two thousand and four we were out at that stage. Yeah, yeah, may have may have taken away from what the actual film was about. Yeah, I feel. Uh, after Amanda stabs her cellmate, the guts she searches through were actually pig uteruses. Oh. Yeah. Really? Lee Wan and director James Wan confirmed that when Adam begins to smash Zep with a toilet lid, Lee Wan is actually hitting a garbage bag full of fake blood. Ah, oh, nice. And the body count for this film is six. Six. Yes. Starting off with a six, so would you like to tell us what happens in Saw? I shall tell you what happens in Saw. As always, it's from Wikipedia. Uh, Stop promoting Wikipedia on this podcast. <laughs> it's all your idea. You you came up with this synopsis yourself. Okay. <laughs> so, photographer Adam Stanheit awakens in a dilapidated bathtub with, the an- with his ankle chained to a pipe. Across the room is oncologist Dr. Lawrence Gordon with a corpse t- between them holding a revolver and a micro-cassette recorder. Both men find a tape in their pockets and Adam retrieves the recorder. 
Adam's tape urges him to escape, while Gordon's tape tells him to kill Adam by six o'clock, or his wife Alison and daughter Diana will be killed. Adam finds a bag containing two hacksaws inside the toilet, which they try to use to cut through their chains, but Adam's saw breaks. Gordon realises the saws are meant to be used on their feet and identifies their captor as the Jigsaw Killer, a serial killer testing his victim's will of survival through murderous contraptions as games, whom Gordon knows of because he was once a suspect. That was terribly red, I do apologise for that. Five months ago, Gordon, whilst discussing the terminal brain cancer of patient John Kramer, was interrogated by detectives David Tapp and Stephen Singh, who found his penlight at the scene of one of Jigsaw's games. Gordon's alibi cleared him, but he agreed to view the testimony of heroin addict Adam, Amanda, Adam, sorry, <laughs> Amanda Young, Lee the only known survivor of one of Jigsaw's traps. After Gordon was released, Tap and Singh found Jigsaw's warehouse using the videotape from Amanda's game. There, they apprehended Jigsaw and saved a man from a trap. But Jigsaw escaped after Singh triggered a shotgun trap in the hallway that killed him. In the present, Alison and Diana are held captive at home as their captor watches Adam and Dr. Gordon through a hidden camera. The house is simultaneously watched by Tap, having been discharged from the police after Singh's death and becoming obsessed with the jigsaw case, convinced that Gordon is the killer. Meanwhile, Gordon finds a box containing two cigarettes, a lighter and a one-way cell phone, recounting his abduction in a parking garage by a pig-masked figure who also captured Adam as well, after the latter recalls his own abduction when he found a puppet at his photo development room. Alison, held at gunpoint, calls her husband and warns him not to trust Adam, who admits to Gordon that he was paid by Tap to spy on him and showed the photos he took from the bag containing the hacksaws, revealing his knowledge of Gordon's affair with one of his medical students, whom he had visited the night he was abducted as the reason he is being tested. Adam finds a photo he did not take of Alison and Diana's captor, whom Gordon identifies as Zepp Hindle, an orderly at his hospital. Once the clock strikes six, Zepp, since Gordon had still not managed to kill Adam, moves to murder Alison and Diana, but the former frees herself and fights him. The struggle attracts Tap's attention and he saves Alison and Diana before chasing Zepp to the sewers, where he is shot in the chest after a brief fight. Gordon, only aware of the gunshots and screaming, is shocked and loses reach of the cell phone. In desperation, he saws off his foot and shoots Adam with the corpse's revolver. Zepp enters the bathroom to kill Gordon, but Adam, having survived the gunshot, bludgeons Zepp to death with the toilet tank lid. Gordon crawls out of the bathroom to find help, while Adam searches Zepp's body for a key and finds another tape revealing that Zepp was another victim following rules to obtain an antidote for a slow-acting poison he was given. As the tape ends, the corpse rises and is revealed to be Kramer, the real jigsaw killer, who reveals to Adam that the key to his ankle chain was in the bathtub and went down the drain when he had first woken up. Horrified, Adam attempts to shoot Kramer with Zepp's gun, but Kramer electrically shocks him through his chain and exits the bathroom. Kramer shuts off the lights and seals the door, 
leaving a screaming and helpless Adam to die. Yeah. Quite the plot. Yeah, it is. Quite the plot. I'll never forget when I first watched the film, and each plot just blew my... each Each plot twist blew my mind. But then that final one where John Kramer stands up after being in the middle of the room that whole time, I just could not believe it. Yeah, it's really well done. It, it, the twists and turns, yeah. the red herrings. It really, really well done. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, some of the acting is a little off, but I mean, overall, I think Lee Wanell and Carrie Ells share a lot of good chemistry. They're back and forth and everything. Considering a lot of the film, it's just them in a bathroom together. You know, I think they do an all right job. Yeah, they, they, they do okay. They, they do okay. And of course, Danny Glover's in this as well. He is. He hasn't got much to do, bless him. No. He, don't, he dies fairly early on. Re- really, he doesn't make it to the very end. Um, he didn't die. He dies. No, he doesn't. He got shot and killed. No, he didn't. Danny Glover did dies. He? Yeah. Oh, okay. Danny Glover got shot. Oh, he did. Of course he did. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of someone he else. He don't make it to the end. Um. Yeah, but I, what, what confuses me with that is I think he makes it into the uh, video games. So I think they're trying to explain that he survived or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so... Keeping with the format of our other Through the Years episodes, we have a little section for each film. Uh, this time it'll be best kill, best trap, most likable character, and most unlikable character. So for best kill, it's got to be Detective Stephen Singh's shotgun to the head. Yes, yes. Um, so you don't see the head exploding, but you see the aftermath. Yeah. And it's really well done. And for a, a like I said previously... For a small budget, yeah. the effects are very good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really quite good. I mean, even the, the storing of the foot at the end, you know, that's always looked really disgusting. Yes. And, you know, very realistic. Um, best trap has to be the signature trap of the series, uh, Amanda's reverse bear trap. Yeah, so Amanda gets free from it, but just the look of it yeah is is enough for now and the fact that she has to find her way through her flatmate's stomach to find the key as well yes. yeah absolutely uh most likable character got Alison Gordon uh who was really done dirty in this film she was she was put in danger because her husband was having an affair yeah. what does she do wrong uh which leads us to most unlikable characters Lawrence Gordon it is yeah he's a, he's a bit of, he's a dickhead yeah really. um you'll find throughout this that there's going to be quite a few dickheads in each film. Um, the one thing that started in this film, which happens quite a lot, is that a lot of the, the male um, victims of these traps, particularly the first one in the film, they happen to be in their underwear. Yeah. Um, in this one, we, we have... Wow. I mean, one of them's completely naked. Yeah, so one dies in his... The first one dies in his wife fronts. <laughs> Uh, but the next one gets set on fire, uh, completely naked. You don't, you don't see any of the good stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very. It seems to be, the first victim, is either topless or in his underpants. Yeah, and also um, all male victims in this one. Yes. Yeah. Which is it's, I mean that's a massive change up for. Uh, you know, if anyone wants to count this as a slasher film, you know, I mean, technically, there's ways you could count it. Obviously, you know, it's all women normally. Well, not all women, but majority is, is all female. But, yeah, yeah, all men. But yet we still end up rooting for Alison Gordon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that brings us to Saw 2, released a year after, 2005, directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, uh, who directed Repo, the genetic opera, which we're yet to see, uh, Mother's Day remake, which is better than the original, Tales of Halloween, 666 The Prophecy, and of course he'd go on to direct Saw 3 and Saw 4, and this year's Spiral from the Book of Saw. Nice. Uh, this is made on a budget of $4 million, so higher budget, uh, slightly higher budget, and it made uh, $147.7 million at the box office. Nice. Uh, to conceal That's the, higher than the first one. It is, it, it yeah. is. To conceal the ending, most of the actors were not given the last 25 pages of the script. Only the principal actors involved in the sequence knew what was going to happen. Uh, which is a very uh, scream thing to do, isn't it? Yes. A very Alfred Hitchcock thing to do. Yeah. Film was all shot in one building again. Uh, it took four days for four people to replace all of the syringe tips uh, with fibre tips for the needle pit scene. Oh, God, yeah. That, yeah, I can imagine how much effort and work went into that. Because there's a lot of needles in that scene. Yes. Uh, Shawnee Smith was pregnant during filming, but kept it a secret from everyone, including the director and producers. Her daughter gave the secret away one day during lunch, but only to the director. Yeah. Um, why? Was she doing all her own stunts in this? Well, she must have been. But, I mean, that's... You know, surely she should have thought she could have been able to have told people. That's... Yeah. But, yes, uh, the advertising posters for this film had to be recalled on orders from the MPAA uh, because the two severed fingers forming the two in the posters did not meet guidelines for film advertising. Oh, shit. The posters get quite inventive as they go along. Um, the new poster makes it more obscure. Uh, also, posters had listed the film as being rated R when, at the time, the film hadn't even gotten an MPAA rating. Because oh. they knew what it was going to be. Uh, the film originally came from a script by the director, which was called The Desperate. After trying for years to get it made, but being told repeatedly that it was too violent, a company finally wanted to do it because they suspected Saw... Uh, it might be a huge success. And they wanted to capitalise on that success, of course. Some producers even described Bowsman's script as too sore-ish. Uh, just, just before he was about to close the deal to make the film, Saw opened huge at the box office, and the next day he received a call, and the producers asked if he could change it around to Saw 2. Lee Wanell was then brought on board to help Bowsman with creating his original idea into a proper sequel to Saw. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, it 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 is very much looking at it now. It's a saw film, like whereas some other films maybe you know there's films in the past that have had that done where you're like, okay, well that definitely wasn't intended to be part of certain franchises. This I, I wonder what aspects were from. His yeah, well that's what I was gonna say. Script. This was very much a saw film. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean traps. The idea of someone killing via traps mm. I mean it's not groundbreaking in, 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 well, in it's that it's blood isn't it yes yeah and it's you know the pit in the pendulum a very mm. Edgar Allan Poe um, so yeah it's, it's not necessarily um, groundbreaking in that sense so I, I wonder if his script was just based on traps yeah rather than uh, a big old twisty turny story uh, Lyric Ben originally auditioned for the role of Xavier, but he was rejected because the makers didn't want to typecast an African-American actor as a drug dealer. Wise choice. He begrudgingly accepted the small role of Officer Rig instead, 
which would obviously cost him a bigger roll mm. uh, by the time he gets to Saw 4. Yeah, that's true, actually. But yeah, um, it, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Of course, since he was allowed by direct by the director to use his own ideas in developing the character, uh, which would then would go on to be Saw 4's lead character. Uh, Henry Rollins was originally cast to play the role of Xavier, uh, but due to scheduling conflicts, he was replaced with Frankie G. He would have been fucking perfect in that role. He would have, actually. Hot on, uh, hot on the Hills. Frankie G? That's, that's his name. Is he like a singer or something? Maybe. Oh. Uh, Henry Rollins would have been hot off the heels of Wrong Turn 2 at this point as well. It's an amazing role in that film. I was going to say, the first time anyone's turned around and said hot off the heels of Wrong Turn 2... <laughs> Uh, body count of nine this time around, slightly bigger, and I will tell you what happens in Saw 2. Uh, police informant Michael Marks awakens in a room with a spike-filled mask locked around his neck, uh, and he has one minute to cut into his eye to obtain the key, but can't bring himself to do it and is killed when the mask closes, which is very much a sign of what they thought people would want to see by this point from these films. Uh, again, in his underwear, of course. In his undies, yes. Uh, at the scene of Michael's game, uh, Detective Allison Kerry finds a message for a former partner, Eric Matthews, and calls him in. Matthews joins Kerry and Officer Daniel Riggin, leading the SWAT team to the factory, which produced uh, the lock from Michael's trap. They, there, they apprehend John Kramer, the jigsaw killer, who indicates uh, computer monitors showing eight people trapped in a house, including his own known survivor, Amanda, and Matthew's son, Daniel. The other victims are Xavier, Jonas, Gus, Laura, Addison, and Ovi. Uh, the main detective in this film, Eric Matthews, is played by Donnie Wahlberg. Big yes. name, Donnie Wahlberg from... New Kids on the Block. New Kids on the Block. <laughs> uh, and, and, do you know, in this film, this is probably the only one in the franchise where I don't think there's any bad performances. I think everyone does a really good job in this one. Would you agree? <laughs> Shawnee Smith. Oh, well, apart from Shawnee Smith. She, but, I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, she did a great job about that needle pit scene. Yes. Beautiful girl, but she <laughs> struggles. Yeah, she struggles. Yeah, She's better in this than she is in Saw 3. Uh, a nerve agent filling the house uh, filling the house with, will kill them all within two hours, but John assures Matthews that if he follows the rules of his own game, he'll see Daniel again. At Kerry's urging, Matthews agrees to buy time for the tech team to arrive and trace the video signal. Uh, during a conversation, John reveals to Matthews that one of his main motivations to become Jigsaw was a failed suicide attempt after his cancer diagnosis which led to a newfound appreciation for life. His game's purpose is to help his victims develop the same appreciation. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you could, you know, just let them live their lives. Uh, the group is informed by a micro result, a tape player, uh, that the antidotes are hidden throughout the house. One is in the room safe, and the tapes provide a cryptic clue. Xavier ignores a warning note and uses the keypad with a cassette on the door which triggers a gun that kills Gus in a scene taken straight from opera. Yes. A lot of the kills aren't sort of references to other kills as well. Yeah. I feel, or I, I can sit there, and, and that's throughout the whole franchise. Yeah. I can sort of sit there and be like, okay, this is pretty, it's pretty cool to see it in... 2000s where yeah. it's a bit more like the death mask at the beginning mm -hmm. that's very um black Su black sunday 
Black Sunday. Black yeah. Sunday. Um, but you can actually see it in colour yeah. and with better effects. Yeah, and plus the whole puppet thing is very deep red, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, once the door opens, they search the house and find a basement where Obi, who helped with the abductions, is killed in a furnace trap whilst trying to retrieve two antidotes. In another room, Xavier's test involves digging through a pit filled with syringes to retrieve a key to a steel door in two minutes, but he instead throws Amanda into the pit because he just didn't feel like it. Uh, she retrieves the key, but Xavier fails to unlock the door in time. Throughout the game, the group discuss connections between them and determine that each has been arrested before except Daniel. Uh, in which, during his father's test, John reveals that the connections uh, is that Matthews was a corrupt, uh, corrupt police officer framing his suspects in various crimes recently. Uh, Xavier returns to the safe room and finds a number on the back of Gus's neck, and that makes him realise that if he wants uh, the password for the safe, he needs to get it from the back of everyone's necks. So he kills Jonas, uh, begins hunting the others, Laura succumbs to the nerve agent and dies, not before finding a clue revealing Daniel's identity. Uh, incensed by the revelation, Addison leaves on her own and finds a glass box containing an antidote, but her arms become trapped in the openings which are lined with hidden blades in a very nasty scene. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, everything's a lot nastier in this one. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely where the whole torture porn bit begins. Yeah. Xavier enters the room and leaves her to die after reading her number. Amanda and Daniel find a tunnel uh, from the first room leading to the bathroom from the first film. Uh, Xavier finds them and, agitated by Amanda's notion, cuts off a piece of the skin from the back of his neck to read his own number. Before Xavier could finish them off, Daniel slits his throat with the saw from the first film. Having seen Xavier chasing his son, Matthews violently assaults John. Uh, <laughs> Beats up a cancer patient to really lighten the mood and forces him to lead Matthews to the house. The tech team tracks the video's source and while Riggs' team searches the house, they find a stack of VCRs playing video recordings and they discover they have the wrong house. Kerry realises that the game had already happened at some time before they located John and the timer for Matthews' game expires to reveal Daniel inside a large steel safe, bound and breathing from an oxygen mask. Uh, in what is a really fantastic twist. Really great twist. Did not see that coming. No. Like, genuinely... Um, yeah, genuine surprise. Definitely take it from Ghostwatch. Um, <laughs> oh my god, of course it is. <laughs> Which is absolutely fine. I mean, any film that wants to copy Ghostwatch is fine in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, unaware of these events, Matthews enters the real house and makes his way to the bathroom from Saw where he is subdued by a pig-masked figure. Of course, the pig-mask is also uh, a very well-known figure associated with the franchise. Yeah. I actually genuinely found it quite creepy. Yeah. With masks. Uh, Matthews awakens, shackled at the ankle to a pipe, and finds a tape recorder left by Amanda, who reveals she had become John's accomplice after surviving her first trap and had helped John set up Matthews' test during the game at the house intending to continue John's psychopathic work after he dies. Amanda then appears and steals the... Uh, steals? Seals the bathroom door. I'd love to see the steal in the bathroom door. Seals the bathroom door, leaving Matthews to die as John hears his screams outside and smiles. Yeah. Best sequel in the franchise. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's... 
it did what sequels do. Yeah. You know, it takes from the original one and amps it up a bit. Uh, unfortunately, with this one, it, it stays true, though, to the twists and turns of the yeah. original. Um, amps up the core. Um, I would say, obviously, the traps in this film were better than the original yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, re- re- it's, it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable yeah. film. Yeah, keeps the twists on the go. Um, yeah, yeah, and keeps the story consistent at this point. Best kill, uh, I'm going to say Gus and his uh, opera-esque gun for a peephole. Yeah, I love that kill from opera and see it again. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. The best trap is, of course, the needle pit. I cannot watch that scene without cringing. It is horrible. Uh, someone with a fear of needles. It is. And the idea that they're all real needles with, like, phone tips on top or whatever. Yeah. Um, imagine if they'd missed one. Well, that was another bit of trivia. They did. Oh, um, so they had to search through it and because re- they realised they accidentally left one or two out. So they had to search through it and get them out. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Most likable character. Sure, there's another way of doing that. Oh, well. <laughs> to make it, like, safe. You could have just brought fake needles. I was going to say. Um, most likable character have to go to Daniel. Uh, again, you know, someone who just happens to be in the situation because of someone else. Yeah. Uh, also played by the guy who pretends to be gay to try and survive in Scream 4. Yes. Yeah, and I find, particularly as the it goes along, the more and more people are involved... Um, through horrible circumstance rather than anything that they've done. Yeah. Which, again, plays into the whole morality tale of the most, series. Yeah. And most unlikable characters, of course, are Xavier. Xavier. Um, yeah, really interesting idea that we have another um, antagonist, yeah. another bad guy in the film. Um, we, don't, we don't necessarily see that again. Do we? Or it doesn't last as long. Not from within the traps, no. No, no. So the whole idea is that he's separate from Jigsaw. He's actually one of the victims. Yeah. But he takes it upon himself to create this survival of the fittest narrative for himself. And, And the thought that he would throw Amanda in that needle pit rather than going in himself as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and the whole idea that Amanda's in on it, yeah, you know, and uh, the fact that she was thrown into the needle pit rather yeah. than that was her, you know, her trap um, is is really interesting. So you can, you kind of see little glimpses of her actually being in on it. Yeah, um, her hair is terrible in this. Oh, film. it is awful. Yes. I hate it. Uh, that brings us... She's got hair like Tracy Beaker's uh, foster mum. She has, she has. She has got cam, cam hair. Cam hair. Um, that brings us to Saw 3 in 2006, directed by Darren Lynn Bosman again. Budget of $10 million this time. A big jump. Jesus Christ. Uh, again, also made more money though. Uh, it made $164.9 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, the producers... Uh, this is uh, one of my favourite... Bits of trivia for many of these films. Producers asked the producers of Scary Movie 4 if they could use their bathroom set for this film. Ah. As it was an exact replica of the sets used in Saw and Saw 2. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> the bathroom we're seeing in this film is from Scary Movie 4. Nice. Which probably explains the low lighting in the bathroom scenes that are used. 
Because yeah. it's only a torch in those two scenes where it's used. Uh, the film's most graphic scene, Jigsaw's brain surgery, remained completely uncut by the MPAA. The filmmakers argued that it was no different from what people would see in any medical documentary on TV. It's true. Which is a very interesting... Yeah, I mean, but look at the film it's been thrown into and the tone of the film. Yeah, but it's still nothing... Yeah. So, but that, that's going into, well, how much does tone matter? Yeah. If that was the only bit of gore in the whole film... Well, yeah, I mean, that'd be a bit different. Yeah. As for the previous two films, only the actors who appeared in the final scene were given the script. Donnie Wahlberg went to great lengths to tell people that he would not be appearing in the film, even to the extent of issuing a press release. <laughs> this was done in order to make his appearance a surprise. I mean, there's only one scene. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. Um, in one of the most disgusting scenes of the franchise, the pig carcasses trap. Um, uh... They were made out of foam, rubber and latex. However... The pig, the, the pig props were filled with real live disinfected maggots. Uh, Tobin Bale said that this is his favourite trap in the entire series. Oh, it's not mine. <laughs> this is disgusting. Uh, at uh, an hour and 17 minutes into the film, Amanda was not originally supposed to grab Lynn by the throat and threaten her in the sick room, uh, as can be seen by her surprised facial expression in the moments after. The line where Lynn says you fucking freak was not written in the script. Um, but the uh, actress, Bahar Sumek, who plays Lynn, uh, added it in after Shawnee unexpectedly threw her against the wall. Oh. Shawnee Smith taking a role very seriously this time yeah. around. <laughs> Method actor. Again, balls to the wall. <laughs> she also, Shawnee Smith also spent several weeks uh, before filming with Tobin Bow to get to know each other personally so their relationship could appear believable and real. Oh, Shawnee Smith and Tobin Bow. Come on, guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> For Saw 3. Um, Lee Wanell was physically sick from watching some of the scenes that were shot. Oh. Uh, I mean, this one. Yeah, this one is possibly the nastiest out of all of them. Yeah, it goes full, full on. Uh, according to the producer, the film was sent to the MPAA board seven times before obtaining the R rating, receiving the NC-17 rating every other time. Um, has it been released uncut? It has now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the teaser trailer for this film was placed in front of The Descent. And it was bootlegged and published online on the day of release. What was? The trailer for this film. Oh, shit. People filmed it in the cinema to release online. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Body count 10 for this film. Uh, including Jeff's son and Adam, whose deaths were shown in flashbacks. Oh, okay. So, so free. Yes. Uh, after being left in the bathroom to die, Detective Eric Matthews breaks his foot with a toilet lid to escape his shackle. <laughs> Come on, Mary Mary. <laughs> uh, six, six months later, the aftermath of a jigsaw game is discovered by Officer Daniel Riggs and his SWAT team where the victim, Troy, had to rip chains from his body to escape a bomb. Was he in his knickers for that one? Yeah, he was. No. Oh. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. He was. He was in his underpants. <laughs> um, so that was very Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, like, hooks and and sh- and, um, and that. Done better in Hellraiser. Yeah, gonna lie. Uh, Detective Alison Kerry points out that the room's exit was welded shut breaking Jigsaw's modus operandi of giving his victims a chance to survive. Uh, 
While reviewing the videotape, Kerry is abducted and awakens in a harness hooked into her ribs. But despite being able to retrieve the key from a beaker of acid and unlock it, the trap inevitably kills her. So yeah, so Ke- Officer Kerry, she was in the first two films. Yeah. Briefly in the first one less briefly in the second one yeah. and then you're sort of she's very much the Janet Lee. she is um you kind of think okay this is this is her film now yeah. and then they kill her off like really early yeah. it's um the trap it's very it reminded me very much of um silence of the lambs yeah yeah um the police officer when he's uh, made to look like an angel yeah. you know very reminiscent of that um, yeah, very gruesome. So, uh, Dr. Lynn Denlin is abducted from the hospital she works at and brought to the bedridden John Kramer. His apprentice, Amanda Young, locks a collar around her neck uh, with five shotgun shells. And that's connected to John's heart rate monitor and will detonate if she moves out of range or John dies. Lynn is instructed by Amanda to keep him alive until another test subject has completed his game. The victim, Jeff, a grief-stricken father consumed with vengeance after the death of his son, Dylan, in a drunk driving accident, must undergo a series of tests around the abandoned meatpacking plant to confront those involved in the incident. Jeff's first test leads him into a meat freezer where he finds Danica Scott, the only witness to the accident, who refused to testify in court. She is stripped naked and chained inside a metal frame, which begins spraying her with ice-cold water. So, yeah, this is kind of the only bit of female nudity we get. Well, fun fact, they did this to make it look less sexual. Originally, she was going to be in underwear and a white T-shirt, which they thought would be more sexual than just having her completely naked. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, um... Yeah... It's hard to describe, but it makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. know? It, it it doesn't, but it does. Uh, I mean, scantily clad, I mean, is probably more suggestive, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, you kind of feel sorry for her. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeff was able to retrieve the key after Danica persuades him to help her, but she freezes to death before he could do so because Jeff is a big fucking loser <laughs> who... <laughs> takes hours to complete the simplest of tasks. In his next test, Judge Holden, who presided the court trial of the accident, is chained at the neck to a bottom of a vat. Rotting pig carcasses are dropped into a grinder that slowly fill the pit, but Jeff saves him by burning away his son's memorabilia in an incinerator to retrieve a key. That's the one that made me feel a bit sick. Yeah. I hate stuff like that. I really do. I find it so grim. Um... Yeah, and it looked it looked really disgusting as well. I assume that's what made Lee one out for all. Yeah, yeah, I hate stuff like that. Like, um, like gunging and stuff like that makes me feel. Ugh. His third test involves Timothy Young, the driver who accidentally killed Dylan, who is strapped to a machine that would twist his limbs and head. The key is tied to the trigger of an enclosed shotgun that goes off after Jeff retrieves it, accidentally killing. Uh, Judge Holden, while the former fails to save Timothy in time when the machine brutally slaps his neck. Because again, Jeff is a fucking idiot. (laughs) 
Lynn is forced to perform an improvised surgery to relieve pressure on John's brain. The surgery is successful and Lynn eventually convinces John to order Amanda to remove the collar. However, Amanda refuses and threatens Lynn's life, having become jealous of her interactions with John. During their dispute, John pleads with Amanda, who admits that she no longer believes in his philosophy and had been manipulating her traps to intentionally kill their victims. Refusing to listen to John's warnings, Amanda shoots Lynn just as Jeff arrives. The latter, who is revealed to be Lynn's husband, retaliates by shooting Amanda with a gun provided by John after his tests. As Amanda dies, John reveals that Lynn's test was actually hers. Aware of her motives and unwilling to allow a murderer to continue his legacy, John decided to test her. He then addresses Jeff, offering to call an ambulance for Lynn if he had learned everything from his ordeal and accept one last test, either killing John or forgiving him. In response, Jeff slashes John's throat with a power saw, activating Lynn's collar as the room is sealed shut. Before dying, John takes out a tape recorder to inform Jeff that his daughter, Corbett, was also captured and he must face another test to save her. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, more great twists there. I mean, especially with Lynn. Uh, when, especially when the first time you see her, she's with another guy and the guy says he wants a divorce. Mm. So immediately you, you assume that's her husband. But yes. Obviously he meant he wanted her to divorce Jeff, which we all wanted her to divorce Jess. Jeff. Jess? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Jeff's a fucking idiot. Um, he didn't learn his lesson at all. And Lynn, you know, okay... She was cheating on her husband, but by all accounts, he'd become a shell of the man that he was before. Yeah. You know, not through his own fault. He was dealing with grief and such. Um, but yeah, I kind of felt for poor Lynn. If that was the final film in a trilogy, mm. would you say that that was a good ending? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good conclusion. Yeah, you had Jeff, you know, his daughter. It leaves you on a cliffhanger, but not a, not too much of a cliffhanger. Mm. You know, you kind of expect Jeff to, whatever, save his daughter or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, most importantly, it's the end of John Kramer and Amanda's stories. Yes. And those, you know, those are what was set up in the first film. So mm-hmm. it does bring things full circle. Also, one of the most depressing films I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. This one is miserable. Yeah. It, like, it, if, if you want to bring your mood down for any reason, watch this film. Fuck me. It, it is just, like, I mean, him burning his kid, his dead kid's toys to yeah. save someone being covered in pig carcasses. Um, the whole John Kramer cancer thing and the brain surgery. It's far too serious and far too bleak. I, I like the film, but I wouldn't... Just watching a free will because it's just miserable. Yeah, um, I I agree. Actually, it kind of, it catches you off guard because there are the twists and turns and and how you would describe the soap opera aspects yeah. of it, but it is full on, and really full on. I mean, there's even a scene where they set up Billy the puppet to look like his dead kid on the floor, yeah. and that's just really really harsh and mean spirited. Um, and then the, the gore and the violence in this one, I remember when I first watched this, there were so many scenes I, I had to turn away. And I, you know, I mean, by that point, I've seen a lot of horror films. Fuck, even to this day, some of it is difficult to watch. It is really, really 
fucking violent and gory. Yeah, and I just, I found the whole story um, surrounding Jeff not being able to cope with the death of his child. I just found it it was just a really weird... Yeah. ...sort of storyline to take. Yeah. You know, Dr Gordon was cheating on his wife and all that business. He, you know, wasn't treating his patient, you know, Mm. and whatnot. Um... And then the second one, they were all the Donnie Wahlberg's character was a bent cop, you know. But then this one, it's like, he's he's the sort of protagonist of this trap, because he's struggling to deal with the accidental death of his child. Yeah. You know, and it was an accidental death. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, the people involved, did they deserve to die? Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's yeah, just very grim. Very grim. A best kill is going to be Carrie's angel trap death. Yes. Um, Another really grim aspect. Yeah. You know? You're starting to get to like her. Yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, the, the digging into her ribs and everything, don't try and hide it. It is fucking graphic. And then even put her hand in the acid. Yeah. It's nasty. The best trap, however, uh, I'd say is the rack. Again, yes. really fucking nasty. Yeah. Um... Again, this guy accidentally killed his son. I, you know, I, I don't know if any of the characters deserve to be in the traps in this film. No, because they showed him being incredibly remorseful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this accident that happened, it didn't really tell us the details of the accident. But it's, but it, it's very much played up that it was an accident, yeah. an intentional death. But the trap is great, and... The whole shotgun thing leads to another interesting death, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, most likable character is Detective Kerry. She should yeah. have had way more screen time. It's true. Whilst I do like that they fooled people into thinking she was the lead character, I they could have done it with someone else. She should, definitely should have had a bigger role. Mm. Uh, most unlikable characters, with an S, it's Amanda and Jeff. Oh my god, Amanda is just... They should have got together in Oh my end. god, so whingy. It's just... All it's, she did it's just was so jealous. and whine and complain yeah. about the whole thing. And then Jeff, Jeff needed a swift kick up the arse. He just weren't going about yeah. business right. Well, because, I mean, you know, he's given two choices for every one of these traps. Especially the one with the pigs and his kids' toys. Okay, you could do one or the other. Why leave it to the last minute to choose to do one oh. thing? Like, just make your fucking mind up. The whole idea and the whole twist of the film is the fact that, you know, John's traps are possible to get out of. Mm. And Amanda's weren't, which is why she was tested and eventually died. Yeah. That's the whole idea. So all of Jeff's traps could have been... You know, resolved solved, and yeah. he, every one of those people could have survived, mm. but they only died not because he decided necessarily to let them die. It was because he took fucking yeah. ages to make yeah. the fucking decision, yeah, and to get his shit together. <laughs> and that brings us to Saw Four, released in two thousand and seven. Again, directed by Darren Lynn Boseman. Uh, budget of ten million again. And this one made 139.4 million. So dropping off a bit, but still a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I still like to see that amount in my account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this one has a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of transitions throughout the whole franchise. 
this one has some of the best. Um, the seamless transitions between separate scenes in the film, they weren't even created using digital effects. Uh, they're all done practically. Uh, for these transitions, the, set were, the sets were built in such a way that two separate scenes could be filmed in one shot without interruption. And this is best shown in the scene where a character is slammed through a uh, window or a mirror or something, and she ends up in a police station, but it just switches to the next scene in that station. Mm. And it's done really well using practical effects. Um, is there a reason for it, though? Style? Style. Style choice? Mm, yes. I ain't against that. You <laughs> they do it again later on with Betsy Russell, who's uh, now introduced in this one, uh, where she is in the same outfit during the hospital scene as she is in the interrogation scene. The camera slowly pla uh, pans to the mirror to transition into the next scene, uh, and the sets are right next door, so Betsy Russell literally ran to the interrogation set for that scene to work properly. Nice. Uh, a coroner was on set at all times for the autopsy scene. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the scene opens with a autopsy scene that feels like goes on for about 10 minutes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do we see a bit of cock? We see a bit of Tobin Bell's cock, yeah. Tobin's Bell end. Yeah, and he's, he's an exact uh, replica of Tobin Bell. It's uh, a model made of him. Is it really? Yeah. To scale? So if anyone wants to know what Tobin Bell's cock looks like, watch Saw 4. And the opening seconds as well. If you don't want to watch the rest of the film, just you just start the film. You'll see it. Um, Darren Lynn Belsman was originally not interested in directing this film, uh, but the producers persuaded him to read the script anyway. So he decided to take it uh, when a plot twist in the script completely took him by surprise, uh, something he thought impossible after being involved with the Saw series for three years now. And yeah, again, the, the twists are on fire in this film. They they are. Um, this for me is when it becomes a little convoluted. It becomes maybe a little difficult to follow. I put that down to the fact that this sequel maybe wasn't meant to exist, and therefore they had to maybe stretch a little bit to make it in keeping with the first three films. Which brings me to my next fact that Thank this was much. given the green light before the third film even opened. <laughs> so, they knew it had to happen <laughs> even before it was written. There we go. Um, the knives that were used in the trap that Jigsaw forces on Cecil Adams were actually made of wood, which, fucking hell, it must have still been painful. Yeah. Um, we get a body count of 10 in this film, uh, including both Cecil Adams, who's definitely shown in a flashback, and Jill's miscarriage. We're getting miscarriage Are we counting that? Uh, apparently to IMDb. Oh, Lord. Before we move on to the synopsis, we have our own fact for this one. Uh, this film introduces Costas Mandalore. What do you know Costas from? <laughs> so it's a bit, a little bit of a running joke with me and Gary. Uh, Costas Man Mandalore. He was at a uh, horror convention that we were at. Where do you know him from first? <laughs> I know him from Soap Dish. Okay, he's the guy that Carrie Fisher is very sexually inappropriate with <laughs> uh, when she's auditioning him for a soap opera in the camp cult classic, um, Not Aged Very Well, Soap Dish. Uh, he was also in an episode of Sex and the City. 
Oh, my God. He was the sexy monk in <laughs> Sex and the City that Samantha was after, but she just couldn't... He, he just did not um, give in to her charms, did he? <laughs> he was t- too busy being married to God or whatever. Most. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, we've we've seen him in person, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. Yes. Would you like to continue the story? You can you can do this part. But he was at for the love of horror in Manchester, and we were watching his Q and A. Uh, at this point, Chris hadn't seen the Saw film, so he, no, you only I knew hadn't. from you only knew him from Soap Dish. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> and Sex in the City. I did have to IMDb him whilst we were there. <laughs> he loves himself <laughs> so much. To the point, and it's okay, you know, everyone should love themselves, but I mean, this guy probably kisses his reflection in the mirror every fucking day. Um, <laughs> apologies, Costas, if you listen to this. Um, but come on. He is on stage doing his Q&A, telling everyone how the Saw films have a really deep meaning, how they weren't torture porn films. They're torture porn films, I'm sorry. Uh, the but ones then, that he's starting are. Well, exactly. He's in the most violent ones. Um... <laughs> But then he wasn't happy with that. <laughs> He's like, okay, everybody, I'm getting my camera out now. Uh, if everybody here could start chanting, cast us, cast us, uh, that'd be great. I'm going to film and put it on my Instagram. And they fucking did. Uh, he made a room for a hall full of people start chanting, fucking cost us. So I was sort of like, oh my god, he must be like the main character in Saw. He, you know, and um, we were watching them, and I was, I was a bit like, when's Costerson? This guy getting people to like chant his name like he's John Bon Jovi, and it's not until part four that he turns up, and he's barely in this. He's barely one. in four. But he's, I mean, he's a running character. He for becomes a four main films. character. Three films. Yeah. yeah. He does become a main character, but as we we did a bit of a marathon, didn't we? Yeah. Watching them back to back, and I was a bit like, "Who the fuck is this Costas guy?" <laughs> I'm like, because he was very briefly in Soap Dish as well. So why would you get people to chant your name? It's so fucking. But it's a, it's a running joke with us now, yeah, isn't it? When you fancy a Costa, Costa, Costa. <laughs> you fancy a coffee, Costa, Costa. Um. So yeah, if you ever. If you're unfortunate enough to meet Costas Mandalore in person, make sure you chant his name or he won't be happy if you don't. Um, so that brings us to Saw 4, which starts with a micro cassette being found in John Kramer's stu- stu- stomach, stomach, during his autopsy, stomach during his autopsy, which contains a posthumous message from John that informs Costas, de- Detective Mark Hoffman, that he will be tested. <gasps> Elsewhere, two men, one with his eyes sewn shut and the other with his mouth sewn shut, awaken in the mausoleum, uh, chained at the neck to a winch that begins reeling them in. The muted man is forced to kill the blinded man to get a key from his collar to free himself. Now, because we had a little bit of cock to start the film, these both of these They're men fully are dressed. fully dressed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't... I don't think there's anyone else in the... No, it, it's Tobin's no, cock. Yeah, yeah there's no random topless people in this film. <laughs> But don't worry, just continue in the next film. It does. Um, following Detective Allison carries death in a jigsaw game, a SWAT team led by Hoffman and Officer Daniel Rigg, and Carrie's FBI contacts Peter Strom and Lindsay Perez arrive at the crime scene. Noting the physical limitations of John as apprentice Amanda Young, 
Strom speculates that a third accomplice was involved and becomes suspicious of Rig. Uh, you know Strom from Gilmore Girls, I believe? Yes, uh, Luke in Gilmore Girls, uh, the main love interest for um, the mum in Gilmore Girls. Uh, that night, Rig, who... Whoa, what are you laughing at? ...who's become obsessed That's with... That's how we know him. ...who's rescuing Jigsaw's victim since Detective Eric Matthews' disappearance, is attacked in his home and later awakens to find a video from Jigsaw. The video reveals that Eric is still alive, having been saved and held captive by Jigsaw for six months after he was left for dead by Amanda, uh, and that the only way to rescue him and Hoffman, who has also been kidnapped, is for Rig to pass a series of trials... That will teach him to let go of his obsession. If Rick fails to pass his test in 90 minutes, Eric and Hoffman will be killed. Rick finds a uh, lady named Brenda bound to a chair in his living room and accidentally activates a very nasty trap which partially tears a scalp off, snatching that wig. <laughs> that was my line. <laughs> yeah, so a wig gets snatched. Um, this is one of those kills, and I, I think... The needle pit as well. It's where it's not necessarily over the top gory mm. or, or you know, an incredible setup. It's one of those things that plays into people's fears yeah. or you know stuff that people just don't like. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely one of the things that I don't. You know, anyone who's ever had, had their air pulled or got something stuck in their air can uh, testament um, to not like the idea of being scalped uh other people may enjoy that i don't know (laughs) don't know where i was going with that point excuse me carry on well we'll find out in our next track that people would love to be in Um... (laughs) which one's that i don't know like none Uh, of them chris what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) he frees brenda but she attacks him to evade arrest for her crimes forcing rick to kill her in self-defense uh, Rick is then instructed to abduct the motel, uh, a motel owner and serial rapist, Ivan Landsness. He forces Ivan into a trap, which requires Ivan to blind both of his eyes to escape. Ivan only blinds one of his eyes and the trap dismembers him. Good. Next, Rick is led to a school where he once investigated the abuse of a young student committed by her father. He finds the student's parents are impaled with metal spikes. The father, Rex, has already died from blood loss. Uh, while his also abused wife Morgan remains alive at his expense by pulling the spikes from both of their bodies. Good. Rick gives her a key to free herself and turns on a fire alarm and goes to the location of his final test. Investigating Rick's apartment, the agents find a clue that leads them to Jill Tuck. No, that is not a drag queen, it is Jigsaw's ex-wife. <laughs> Jod's ex-wife, who reveals that she miscarried her son Gideon, uh, when Cecil Adams, a drug addict, slammed the door into her stomach whilst robbing her rehab clinic. A scene that maybe would have worked better in Saw 3, because it's really depressing. Mm. <laughs> the loss of their son enraged John and destroyed their marriage. At the motel, the agents learned that the room Ivan was killed in had been rented out to lawyer Art Blank, John's former business partner and the survivor of the mausoleum trap. Art is revealed to be the man overseeing the current game when he hands Eric a gun. At the school, Strom and Perez find a puppet whose face explodes and sends shrapnel into Perez's face. While Perez is hospitalised, Strom questions Jill and learns that John ended his work with Art after falling into depression and that Cecil became the first victim of John's games. 
Strom connects her story and a prior clue to discover the location of Riggs' final test, the Gideon meatpacking plant. Uh, Strom arrives after Rig, but ends up following Jeff Denlon, who is trying to pass his own game. Yes, that is Jeff from Saw 3. He finds Jeff in a sick room with the corpses of John, Amanda and his wife Lynn and kills him in self-defense after Jeff points his gun at him. Meanwhile, Art pulls out a device that will free him, Eric and Hoffman. Once the 90-minute timer expires, if used before then, a pair of pincers will sever his spine. Realising Rig's game is for him to wait until they are able to save themselves, Eric shoots Rig as he is about to enter the room, and Rig opens the door nonetheless, triggering a mechanism that releases two ice blocks to crush Eric's head, and seemingly electrocutes Hoffman. After killing Art in self-defense, Rig picks up the tape recorder he had on his per- on on him, whatever, uh, which reveals that uh, Eric would have lived if not for Rig's obsession to save everyone. Hoffman then frees himself and leaves Rig, who realizes that Hoffman was the third accomplice all along, to die from his gun wound before sealing the door of the sick room with Strom still alive. Uh, Rig starts sh- chanting Costas. It doesn't really. The film ends with Hoffman at the morgue, first revealing that John's autopsy took place after the events of this film. Yeah. Again, um, the twist that this is going on at the same time as Saw 3, didn't see it coming. No. Really unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good twist. Um, my, My problem with this film... Like I said before, it's just there's so many characters and there's so much going on. It's hard to keep up. And it's something that from this film on can become quite um, annoying. Is I, I, I love the twists. I love the red herrings and all that business. Um, but you get these characters come in and out, characters mm. that are in, you know, one scene in one film, and then they get a whole, you know, storyline in the next one, and it to me it just it becomes a little um, confusing, and it, it takes me out of you know these are horror films, these are meant to be horror films, and it just becomes a very soap opera with lots of blood and guts you know, yeah. it's thrown in there, um, which can can be good, but it's a bit like, oh, you know? Yeah, it gets to the point where now you can't just randomly watch one of these films. No. If you're going to watch a Saw film, other than the first film, you've got to watch the whole franchise because unlike films like A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Halloween, Scream even to a certain point, you know, you could randomly put one of those films on and watch it and enjoy it mm. without having to watch the other films. Saw, you wouldn't be able to do that. No. Imagine randomly watching Saw 4. Yeah. What the fuck's going on? Yeah. It, it's like fucking Twin Peaks in that you, you kind of have to have a previously on Saw and you, you do we do get a lot of flashbacks just so you can keep mm. up with who did this when and who was that and then that, that was so-and-so's cousin who climbed the Eiffel Tower and jumped <laughs> off. Um, but then so-and-so was at the Eiffel Tower as well, so that's why he's linked. 
and I, I just find it very convoluted and, and a bit and sometimes it's a real stretch that you know so many people happen to be connected mm. in some kind of way um it, yeah it just it takes me out of it a little bit it doesn't make it, it breaks the tension whereas with the first three films i found there was a great deal of tension and then with the twists you know added on top yeah if you, if you know what i mean yeah, yeah i do i do yeah by this point if you're still watching you have to be a hardcore saw fan yeah um you have right. to have your notes too. yeah yeah basically um, so best kill, uh, it's gotta go to Donnie Wahlberg and his uh, head, head smash. Yes, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, and didn't look at, well. I'm assuming it was CGI. Was it or mildly CGI? I don't know. I, I love know, these films. Good, this whole franchise until it saw 3D and Jigsaw, very um, persistent with using practical effects. Yeah, which is always good to see. Um, the best trap has to be the scalping seat, though. It, it is nasty. It, it is. It is. Um, yeah, the, the wig snatcher. The wig snatcher. Most likable character, I'd actually say he's probably the most likable character out of the whole franchise, is Eric Rigg. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a definite shame that he wasn't in more yeah. of yeah. the films for more time. Yeah, I mean, the actor does a great job. And also, I f- you know, even when he's freeing people from these traps... You could tell he's doing it um, because he wants to save these people, mm. and the way he reacts towards some of the more shittier characters, you know, it's justified. And the whole thing, him being put in the traps, is one of my least favorite things about this film, uh, because he wants to save people. That's bullshit. That's that's yeah. that's bullshit. Yeah, he died because he tried too hard to save people. Yeah, which I th- I feel would have been interesting if it had been sort of longer it, it, yeah. it would have been developed well, for longer Saw 3 feels like it goes on a bit too long it's like mm. nearly two hours maybe this one could have gone on a little longer I would like to have I mean, seen more from him but the problem is you introduce so many new characters yeah or developed older characters more that you've only seen in one or two scenes that is not space for everyone yeah uh, most unlikable character is I mean I think we've got different answers but they're both very valid. Um, yeah. I mean I've got Ivan the paedophile slash rapist. Yes, and I've got Rex the um, child abuser. Child abuser, and yeah. Wife abuser. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think with this one, um, there's definitely a. It's weird actually because we've just sat here and said that Rick didn't deserve to be part of the trap necessarily did mm, we and yeah. he didn't deserve it but there's more clear cut black and white you know Rex abuses his yeah. wife and child yeah. he deserves to die when it's by his wife's hand mm. you know we're all like yeah good for her um, when it's Ivan wasn't it yeah. when Ivan is killed we're all like yeah go on get him Yeah. sort of thing it's more clear cut in this film for a few of the characters so it's easier to say okay you're an unlikable character because mm. you know you're a piece of shit yeah absolutely and that brings us to the end of part one of our Saw Through the Years episodes uh, we're going to release these on the same day anyway so you can just go straight to part two 
Uh, don't do what we do with Blumhouse. Don't listen to more part two than part oh, one. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so skip to the next episode. Bye. <laughs>